Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Open wide for some soccer! The San Jose Earthquakes present The Soccer Hour on KNBR 1050. Brought to you exclusively by your NorCal Honda dealers. Now here's your host, Ted Rainey. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Soccer Hour on KMBR 1050, brought to you by your NorCal Honda dealers. Another big one coming up for the Earthquakes on Saturday in Salt Lake against the surprising RSL. I didn't know they would be this good this year, but it's all part of the fun and the parody in Major League Soccer. And hey, we're not even at the halfway point, so obviously there is a lot of soccer yet to be played, but it's a big challenge for the San Jose Earthquakes. We'll get more into that with JT Marcinkowski, but first, obviously, big news coming out yesterday, Tuesday, with the 10-year announcement, the partnership between Major League Soccer and Apple TV to be the primary streaming and or distributor of video content for the games for Major League Soccer. Looks like some broadcasts are still going to be on ESPN and on Fox and Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2, etc. But Apple TV is going to have all the games. They're going to have no blackout rules. And Major League Soccer becomes the first big league in North America to sign a deal of this type. So, Obviously, huge, huge news in that capacity. And to talk more about this right off the bat, I'm going to bring in Alex Silverman of Sports Business Journal. Alex, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Doing well, Ted. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on. And of course, uh, you guys at Sports Business Journal were all over this with the breaking news yesterday morning that Apple and Major League Soccer were signing a 10-year deal to become not the exclusive, but the majority uh, television or video streaming holder of the next 10 years. Let me ask you in, I don't know, the last 10 days, maybe 15 days, my comprehension had been that Apple was dropping out. So when all is said and done, considering how much they are spending, was that just a play on their side to try and, you know, lower the price or was or were they out of it only to come back in once they saw that they had a, a golden opportunity? Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's hard to know exactly what was what was going on in, inside the negotiations there. I, I had seen similar reports about uh, Apple, but, uh, you know, as far as I had heard, they had, you know, been in on conversations with MLS, um, you know, for over a year. So, um you know, not not exactly sure what happened in the negotiations at that point, but uh, I think I would have been surprised if Apple wasn't involved in this at all, just based on how long they've kind of been kicking the tires. Um, but to see them have as big of uh, a share of the rights as they do, uh, which you mentioned is, you know, they'll have every single game, not necessarily exclusively with, you know, the potential for some linear deals, but, um, you know, definitely that surprised me a little bit. What is your overall reaction to the the deal? Just looking at it from a, a 30,000 foot level. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a really big uh, moment for the sports media industry. I think to have a league basically 
say we are going all in with a digital player like Apple who doesn't have a you know linear presence. Like I said, they they have said that they're going to sign some simulcast deals with linear networks. Um, but this is definitely the biggest bet we've seen from a major sports property on streaming. And uh, it's definitely Apple's biggest foray into sports. And, you know, with Apple being, uh, I believe, the second largest company in the world by market cap, you know, that's a, that's a huge deal for, for this industry. In terms of being the... How do I put this? Major League Soccer wants to be not one of the big four, but make it the big five in North America and understood, obviously. However, they are separating themselves in that the NFL as the king is the only other one that does not have the regional TV broadcast. And Major League Soccer, I always say, is akin to college football in that it is intensely regional. Is there a danger from moving away from the regional broadcasts that we associate with the regional sports networks? Well, I mean, I think it's certainly a risk. I think, you know, especially, especially from folks that I've, you know, fans that I've heard from uh, on social media, you know, some are, are upset to lose that sort of local touch point to their team. Um, but I mean, just from a financial standpoint, the local broadcasts were not a big revenue driver for MLS clubs like they have been for, uh, you know, Major League Baseball teams, NBA teams, NHL teams. So for the league to be able to monetize uh, those local rights, uh, you know, in a bigger way with Apple, uh, I think that made made sense for them. In terms of what they're going to be doing with the broadcasting, my understanding is that Apple is going to be hiring, um, you know, 10 to 14 broadcasters, and it sounds like they're going to be doing it remotely um, except for some of the nationally televised ones where if ESPN and um, Fox get in on it, I imagine they'll probably have the broadcasters in-house. Uh, it, you know, if if you go on Reddit, um, you know, Alex, there's always complaints about the fact that the broadcasters are not in the building whenever you watch any of the Open Cup games. Uh, you hear it a lot about the NWSL broadcasts and what's gone on with Paramount. You get those complaints about the TUDN and the, uh, the Unimas broadcasts. What, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, well, I think MLS bringing production in-house is really interesting. Um, you know, it's a massive investment for the league financially. You know, they're going to have to essentially build up that infrastructure uh, from scratch. You know, I think, um, you know, w- when, when they had the uh, MLS's back tournament during, mm-hmm. during, during COVID-19, um, you know, I think you really saw uh, how important to the league ESPN uh, production acumen was in, in terms of how they were able to turn what, you know, was essentially uh, a youth soccer field in, in, in Orlando into, you know, what looked like a pretty legitimate uh, production on TV. Uh, so, you know, for them to go from that to something like this, where they're going to have to do it all on their own, uh, is interesting. Uh, you know, I don't really have a sense of exactly how much that's going to cost the league, and I don't really, you know, it, it's hard to know really what what those productions are going to look like. You know, it, it's a big unknown right now. Um, not sure how many folks the league is planning on hiring uh, to do those uh, telecasts. Whether it's going to be some of the folks that would have previously been doing uh, local telecasts, and and yeah, it's unclear. You know, how many telecasts are going to be remote versus uh, on site. What do you think about the fact that Major League Soccer is? 
for the most part, not going to be on, um, you know, just regular television for a lot of Americans. I mean, you know, those nationally televised games, but it kind of sounds like they're saying that they're not going to find fans who stumble upon their games and become fans organically. They are catering to the crowd that is seeking them out. I mean, I guess we live in such a, you know, democratized or fetishized sports market as is, this might not be the worst play, but I work in hockey too. And every time a Sharks game was on uh, ESPN Plus this past year, there was a large outcry of people being upset that they could not turn on um, NBC Sports California and get the game. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think there's, it's kind of two different uh, audiences with the regional telecast and the national telecast. I do think it's important for the league to have some level of a national presence just in terms of uh, people discovering the, the league uh, on TV, on ESPN or, or Univision or Fox, uh, as they have. Um, but those numbers haven't been great. And then, you know, in terms of the regional telecast, I mean, th- those numbers are even smaller. And uh, I, I think for them to, you know, in terms of catering to fans, I mean, I understand that there are certain people who just have an aversion uh, to streaming in general, mm-hmm. but to the, to the point that, you know, I don't want to have a million streaming services. I mean, the league here is giving you every single match in one place. And I think, you know, from a customer uh, experience standpoint, I think that's kind of the future, you know, this idea that customers or, or fans have to look up what, what channel each game's on, which, you know, have to have five different streaming services to watch one league. You know, I don't think that's tenable long-term. And I think in that sense, this is kind of, uh, you know, very, uh, future looking by, by MLS. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I, I think that the, you know, what, MLS Live was before ESPN Plus made the deal with Major League Soccer was much better. And, you know, there's the the outcry of uh, the blackouts and the lack of that, I think, will be absolutely fantastic. The the thing that's that's interesting to me is that and you know this because you work in soccer is that, you know, before the widespread knowledge in the first Fox deal with um, the Premier League, you had to be pretty savvy digitally to keep up with soccer everywhere and i think a lot of soccer fans are already pretty good with streaming pretty good with the internet because they're used to going to reddit they used to find the streams that were um not not necessarily uh, the most lawful way of acquiring or watching the game but people knew how to do it i feel like that's what's unique about soccer is that a, a large portion of the fan base is already pretty good with the digital, with the streaming, because it wasn't coming to them on ESPN unless it was a bigger game. It wasn't being force-fed down their throat. Like, I always joke, I can't wake up in the morning without hearing whether or not, you know, Aaron Rodgers has gone to the bathroom yet. Um, And that joke became real when we learned about one of his off-season rituals. But, you know, the (laughs) soccer fans had to go and find it. So I guess Don Garber in the league is kind of banking on that fact that there's a, a large portion of his fan base that's already used to going and finding it. Yeah. And I mean, look, you know, MLS is a pretty young league. There, there aren't folks that have been, you know, fans of MLS since the sixties or seventies, you know, you're, you're not, I don't think there's not as much of a risk of alienating long-term long-time fans as there would be say if major league baseball uh, went and did a deal like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, I'm not saying that soccer is necessarily inherently a young person's sport. I just think that it's, uh, popularity is fairly recent, uh, 
in, in this part of the world. So I, I think in that sense, they feel like most of their audience is, is young enough and, and tech savvy enough to, uh, to adapt. Yeah, and you know, to that point, one of the longstanding um, you know points that Major League Soccer has pointed to is they said, "Hey, we're the only fan base that's getting younger on the whole." And they would point to hockey and baseball as having the audiences that were getting the oldest, then the NFL, then the NBA, and then Major League Soccer. So, banking on that youth at the same time, while knowing that that youth doesn't have the same economic power to invest as maybe some of the more advanced age groups. What about that? Is that a, how much of a factor is that? Um, I mean, I think, um, if, I think if MLS had had their way, they would have been, they would have been able to do a deal like this with, um, an ESPN where you still have that sort of mainstream, uh, linear presence. And, uh, you have a linear network that's invested in pushing your product to, a broader audience, um, you know, of all ages, sort of like, like you said, um, I just, I don't think that the, uh, I don't think that the interest in the marketplace w- was as robust from, from those, from those players as, as they would have liked. And I think Apple, um, you know, showed the most interest in taking on the, the whole, the whole package. Do you think this is a missed opportunity for an ESPN knowing that, we're on the cusp of the 2022 World Cup and, you know, a talent's level, the United States is as good, if not better than they've ever been. And, you know, obviously we have to see how that works out. And then 2026, the, the biggest party in world history is coming to um, Canada, the United States and Mexico. Do, do you think that, especially after 2026, do you think ESPN will say, boy, we really missed out on an opportunity? And in retrospect, Apple got a great deal. It's a good question. I was a little surprised to see the 10 year term on this deal. I thought if, if MLS wasn't getting the exact deal that they wanted, maybe they would try and go shorter term and then cash in, like you said, after 2026 world cup. Um, so yeah, I, I think that is a possibility. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think with some of these deals, you know, there's a 10 year term, but you never know whether there there's, and there's out clauses or, or that sort of thing. So whether it goes at full 10 years is, is not necessarily a sure thing, but you know, I, I, I'm very interested to see what 2026 means for this sport in this country. I mean, it, soccer has been the sport of the future uh, for as long as I can remember. And I think that 2026 is going to be kind of put up or shut up for, for soccer in terms of whether it can become one of the mainstream sports in this country. It's, it's hard because I feel like for, for me, there is a dividing line and I, you know, I turned 40 in, in July and there are people I know that are over 45. It's not really a point of interest for them. But then when you get to the more 35 and younger, it is more the norm to be aware of everything that Messi did over the weekend or everything that happened in champions league. And there you've seen more of the viral aspects of you know, highlights that come from, you know, whether it's going to be Ronaldo, whether or not it's going to be whatever it is, it just seems like the awareness level for the younger crowd is at such a different level that, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, you, you said earlier, it's a young major league soccer is a young league. The overall ability to watch soccer is young, relatively speaking, compared to, you know, what we've been able to see with basketball. And I, I always point to, you know, the NBA finals in the eighties, 
were, were on tape delay and you had Magic Johnson doing you know his incredible things and people couldn't watch it when it was live. So it does take time. So, I, I mean, I guess, do you need that multi-generational fan base? I mean, I, I was at 13 years old at the first ever MLS game. It was not the norm until that point in my life for me to be paying attention. Right now, for my kids who are eight and six, it is totally the norm for them to look at MLS highlights, to be aware of what's going on in the league. I mean, it does take time, right? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think the youth, I mean, the fact that that audience is so young right now, I think is why you're seeing uh, a company like Apple make such a big bet on the sport, why, why you've seen valuations for these MLS teams uh, so much higher than, you know, than revenue that they're generating right now. I think there, there's a lot of, uh, confidence that the sport will, will grow in, in the future. Um, I think one of the, you know, one of the issues that, and you kind of alluded to it when you're talking about what, you know, people being interested in what Messi was doing over the weekend and what Ronaldo was doing over the weekend and what happened in champions league is none of that's happening in the MLS. Of course, you know, mm-hmm. uh, none of these other major sports in the United States have competition from, from all these other leagues around the world that are so, that are just as accessible, uh, people in this country as MLS is, you know, MLS is not the most popular soccer league in, in the United States right now. So, uh, I think ultimately if for MLS to really, you know, take a big step forward, I think the product on the field is also going to have to improve. Just to play devil's advocate, because I know it, it, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but college football is, is huge. It's not the best football in the United States. I mean, you can't, Yes, Alabama, Ohio State, Oregon at certain times. You get a very, very entertaining product, but, you know, college football is huge. It's not the best football in America, but it doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, I think that's a good point. When I think about American sports, uh, I can't, you just can't compare football to anything else. I mean, I know that, (laughs) I know that, I I know that that's maybe a little bit of a cop out in terms of the comparison, but um, when you compare TV numbers for, football to, to anything else. It's just, it's just, you know, exponentially higher, you know, you have the USFL come on and out of nowhere and put up numbers that are, you know, <laughs> what the NHL is doing during the playoffs. I mean, I football is just inexplicably popular in this country. And obviously also with, with, uh, with college football, people have ties to these institutions. And there's also, you know, the connection uh, between the college game and the, and the pro game, which is obviously extremely popular. So, um, yeah, it, it, I don't, I don't know that. It, I, I think it's a, I think it's a fair point on your part, but I, I don't know that it's uh, comparable. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's not, I just, like I said, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate for the sake of, uh, being entertaining, but yeah, I right. mean, you know, it's, we joke about it, but it's like, you look at the investment that is made in high school football stadiums in Texas and compare that to some of the stadiums that have been built, you know, for, for major league soccer. And it's like the, the investment is comparable. I mean, that, and that's just high school football stadiums. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it is, it's beyond a love affair at this point. Um, Alex, before I let you go, uh, obviously I'm, I'm the man who just talks about sports. You have the acumen far beyond me. Is there something that I have not asked about that you find intriguing about this deal or an angle that I have not uh, pointed towards that came to your mind? Um, Yeah. I mean, I think we've covered a lot of it. I think, uh, you know, MLS, I think is just really placing a, well, you know what, actually one other thing I think is interesting is, you know, the league's cup that is going to be coming up, I think is, 
uh, MLS is putting a lot of eggs in the, you know, league MX basket in, in mm-hmm. terms of using that, the popularity of that league with, with, uh, Mexican American population to grow its own popularity. Uh, I'm, you know, that is part of this deal with, um, with Apple. Uh, but I'm interested to see, um, whether those games, uh, all those games end up on, on linear television because, you know, Univision does massive numbers for, uh, league MX matches. Yeah. And, you know, for previous, you know, the smaller, uh, introductory versions of the league cup has done really well. So, um, you know, I know it's really important for the league, uh, to try and grow, uh, it's Hispanic fan base. So, you know, I, I think that's uh, going to be a big initiative and I'm sure they want to get a bunch of those games on your television. Alex, thank you so much, my friend. I really appreciate your time and I hope I can get you again soon. All right. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Again, that was Alex Silverman of Sports Business Journal joining us here on the Soccer Hour on KMBR 1050. And we are now going to bring, fresh off maybe his best performance of the year, JT Marcinkowski. JT, what's going on, man? How are you doing? What's up, Ted? Thanks for having me back on. Oh, man, always always enjoy having you on. And uh, we get uh, you know another one of you East Bay natives that uh, gets to represent the Bay Area with the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, you know, I guess I'll start off, man, like you came off uh, another shutout in your most recent performance you made a number of big time saves um how do you feel with yourself after a after a shutout are you usually feeling like oh okay like i did what i wanted to do or do you not really focus too much on uh, stats that aren't associated with three points when when the when the day is done i mean i think a little bit of both i think having a shutout i think is a really um good indicator of how the defense played as a whole um, I think it's, it's something that you can kind of hang your hat on and be like, okay, well, you know, we played well this game. Maybe there were some things to correct, but, um, overall it was a good performance. Whereas, you know, sometimes you're leaving a game and even if it's kind of the Kansas city game, it was one, one, but it's like made a mistake, um, really wasn't much in it. And so it's like frustrating in that case, um, uh, just because ideally for me, I would love to have a shutout, zero saves, you know, just a lot of communication, some mm-hmm. things, some things to do with my feet, but because um, that means the guys in front of me played really well. Um, but I think the Nashville game, overall, it was a tough performance on the road. I think it's a really good team, and it's a team that kind of sits in and looks the counter, and I think they did that pretty well in the first half. Um, and then we kind of made some adjustments at halftime, and I thought we came out a little bit sharper in the second half, and uh, kind of unlucky, I think. We had a couple good chances, but, yeah, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough road point, so we'll take it. Yeah, no, and you know, it's something that uh, actually I think about a week ago or two points ago, I was talking with Joe Cannon, and you know, I, everything um, in my point of view is shaped by a goalkeeper's perspective because I've been working for with Joe for almost a decade now, and so you know, everything is you know from a goalkeeper's point of view. And he was saying he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, he's like JT, he's like he has not been the problem in games this year. He said, but at some point throughout the season, he said the, the, the goalie has to, you know, be the guy that steals you some points. And I felt like this performance against Nashville was one of those ones where it was easy to point to you and say like, yeah, JT made huge stop after huge stop. You were the man of the match, um, you know, for everybody that was watching. Um, you, I mean, like beyond that though, like you must've felt pretty good. Like, damn, like that was a pretty good match. Like, did you think that was your, your best game of the year in terms of your individual performance or, do you not look at it, um, it, it as an individual so much as you're like, oh, yeah, we did a lot of good things on defense, which, you know, kept us with a, at a 0-0 score line? 
Yeah, it's definitely the latter. I think don't try to look too much um, individually because at the end of the day, if we don't get three points, it doesn't really matter um, how you did individually. Obviously, it's good for the confidence to, you know, to make some saves, but um, there was also some really key moments from my defenders throughout that match. Um, you think about the one in the first half with, with Paul sliding yeah. back through. Jan had a great recovery in the first half. Uh, a couple of huge uh, late blocks from Judson, Tanner, Nathan. So I think it was kind of like a definitely an overall team defense clean sheet rather than just just my own um, few saves. And um, I think it's something to grow from. I think it's something that we've kind of been missing and, um, you know, lacking anything in the back. We've just let in kind of too many goals and um, responsibility obviously starts with me and then goes throughout the team. But we're kind of, you know, try to take this momentum carried into the next match. Take me through that play with uh, Paul because you would come out um, and then Paul Marie just came diving in at the last second. I'm trying to think, was it Sapon or no, it was uh, Hakinson who had the ball. Yeah. Um, and Marie just, I mean, a great play going to ground, stuffed the shot. T- take me through that. Yeah, that was a pretty uh, a good play from Mukhtar in the middle, turned Eric um, and sent a through ball in. And to be honest, like, I re-looked at it and maybe I could have come out for it um, on the initial ball. Uh, but I think it just decided to hold my ground and um, force him wide, which, which I did. His touch was a little bit far. Um, so luckily it kind of gave, gave Paul enough time to recover. I think it's, it's something that we've really been uh, harping on during training. It's just a reorganization of the team, uh, whether it's, you know, on a counterattack like that or even just, you know, get our d- defensive shape behind the ball. But, uh, yeah, massive play from Paul in a really big moment. Um, I think they kind of had a little bit of momentum during that time in the game. And, uh, you know, that's why the defenders are there sometimes just to bail me out. You know, we often talk about that momentum during the broadcast is like, you can feel things sway from one direction to the other, but we're looking at things from a, you know, not quite 30,000 foot view level, but it's from the top down. So we have a different view of it. Do you feel the momentum back and forth in games or is that not something that you're focused on? No, I mean, there's definitely certain moments, especially when, like when you're on the road, uh, an environment like that in Nashville, like almost 30,000 people. So you can, you can kind of feel when they're getting into it. You can feel when, you know, okay, let's try to take the life out of the game for the next five minutes, next 10 minutes, um, just to kind of let us catch our breath and kind of make sure that, you know, the crowd doesn't continue to get into it. Similar like in basketball, obviously with the Warriors right now, it's like coaches take timeouts all the time. Mm-hmm. Even if they're up by like, you know, 15 or 20, it's like they don't want to, uh, the opposing team to start a little bit run. And so I think it's similar in, in soccer. There's obviously no timeouts, but you know, if I get the ball and I can slow it down and kind of take the life out of the game, then that's something that we try to do. And, you know, it just kind of comes with experience. It kind of comes with feeling, feeling the moment and kind of feeling, uh, how it's been in the past and, and going from there. Do you watch basketball and think like, man, a timeout. I wish I could take a timeout. <laughs> well, especially in the game against Nashville. And it was about like, I don't know how, I don't know how hot it was, but man, it was humid out there. So our guys are dying. Um, so I think it, that could have been an ideal, ideal moment for a timeout. But um, I think it's also, that's why, that's why soccer is great. Just the, the continuous flow of the game. And um, you know, there's, there's no stoppages, which is great. No, man, I was just, it, it made me laugh to hear you talk about that. Oh, like, oh, they call a timeout, like whatever, yeah. whatever, you know, soccer player be like, man, we only get those when it's 90 degrees and above and we're in Houston and you know, it's frying. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And at that, at that moment, I don't think you're really thinking too much because it's so hot that you're just like, all right, just give me the water. Like, yeah, give me water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Like Nashville obviously wasn't as hot as Houston, but like as soon as, um, 
they cut to you guys before the game. It was like, oh, everybody's drenched with sweat. Like it was I think 86 degrees to start the game. Then the sun went down and it was 81 degrees, but the humidity was even higher at the, in like the 80th minute than it was in the, uh, yeah, you know, we came out of halftime. Yeah. We came out of halftime. It was just like, it kind of slaps you in the face. You're like, oh my God. Like, all right. Like, here we go. Like time to lock it in for the next 45 minutes. And, um, you know, I think you can kind of, you could feel it. And especially guys after the game, they were like, they thought they ran, you know, more than they they've run the entire season. And then you look at the numbers that we were with our GPS units and it was like a little bit down, but it's just like, <laughs> just kind of the, the feel of the game and kind of the, in that environment as well. It was just a emotional one. That's interesting that you said that the GPS numbers were down because it felt like an active game. Like it didn't feel like they're, as you well know, not every nil nil draw is uh, built the same or entertains the same, but I felt like that was a pretty active attacking game that ended up with some good plays on both sides that kept both teams off the board. Absolutely. I thought it was a really entertaining game. And I think it's, um, you know, classic. If you look at the scoreline at zero, zero, it's like, oh, I must've been boring. And it was like the furthest thing from that. Um, and I mean, maybe my perspective is a little bit different in the game, but um, I thought I thought it would be played pretty well. And I think it's something to grow from. Yeah. In terms of Hani Mukhtar, now you've seen him a couple of times. He, to me, in transition is so dangerous in terms of what you've seen from him, what you've seen in the transition from a team like LAFC from Seattle. Um, you know, that's kind of been the team's bugaboo for the for the recent weeks um, is just obviously you guys are a little bit more organized, but still it feels like you're flirting with that bend don't break mentality is is defending the transition a, a, a talking point right now? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think with these with like those teams you named, I think that's kind of what they thrive on, um, especially Nashville LAFC. It's like this is what they you know, they're kind of built for. They they sit in and they press and then they go and then they break and then it's kind of full blown is similar to us. Like you look at us with our front three with, with Cade, Jabo, Christian Miro, when he's in, it's just like, you know, some of our speed and some of our attacking qualities, it's some of the best in the league. And so obviously they, that's why these teams are kind of where they are, where they are on the table is just um, a little bit of their, their execution when they're going forward. And, you know, look at that play from, from Mukhtar, like I was just talking about when the one that Paul slid in, it was just a little moment that he got the ball and kind of made some magic in the middle and played a through ball. And, um, you know, he's, he's one of the better players in the league, in my opinion. I think he's yeah. kind of underrated still. Um, I don't think he gets as much praise as I think he should. Um, you know, for me, it's him, uh, Zeller around this year when we played him at home, yeah, those guys are, you know, really, really kind of different class. When we look at the standings right now, you guys are, three points out of the final playoff spot in the West. Obviously, you know, you've dealt with the change at head coach this year. Do you feel overall like things are trending in the right direction? Yeah, of course. Um, I think it's something that the transition was tough. Um, it was a big change for kind of the entire club. Uh, Matias and, and his staff were, were a massive part of, um, you know, the last three and a half years. Like they, they were not just coaches and not just, um, coworkers, I would say that they're really good friends of ours. And so, but that's the business of the Nate of the sport. And, um, you know, you kind of have to move on. So we'll, we, we took a lot of the things that he, he has continuously harped on and kind of got us improved us at defending pressure. Um, and then with Cavello and the new staff, it's kind of just honing in a little bit different, uh, tactics and stru- structure in the back and structure up front. And, um, we're kind of riding the wave. And I think it's, you know, the quality is there. I think our team is uh, talent wise, one of the best in the league. And 
Um, I think if we continue to shore up the details, um, the little things, then I think we'll continue to improve and continue to get results. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm with you there. It does feel like, you know, the team is on the path to where things can get better. And that sets you up with a pretty big game against RSL this weekend. And, you know, they have surprised me. I did not expect them to be 7-4-4 four, and four, and in third place in the West. Um, and it's another tough uh, road game where, no, you're not with the humidity of, you know, Nashville or Houston, nor are you at the elevation of Colorado. But people forget that summertime in RSL, it's a, it's hot and you're at a little bit of elevation. So you kind of get a, a bit of both worlds there. Yeah, it's something even we were talking about at training this week. It's just kind of, you know, we have to suffer through the game. Um, the first 10 minutes when you're, your lungs are burning uh, at altitude, then it's like, okay, then you have to really dig deep and kind of take that extra breath and really, really stay focused and, and mindful in the moment. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's a huge game. Like you're saying, I think they're, they've played really well this year. I think we've, we started to watch and I watched a few of their games throughout the year and there's a really good squad. Um, I think they know, they know what they're good at, which is, which is unique. I think with a lot of teams, a lot of teams kind of try to do some things and try to do some other things. And RSL this year, it's, they know, they know what they're going to do and they do it pretty well. So it's up to us to try to uh, combat that. How do you specifically watch film? Do you look at where guys like the, you know, if you were going to go up against a high quality nine or a 10 who likes to make runs into the box, do you watch that? Or you, or do you more watch the buildup and see if they play it from the flank or, and then come inside? Or are you looking for, you know, patterns of repetition? Like what, what's the JT Marcinkowski method of watching and or learning in teams offense? Cause the film as it presents, I imagine it's, you know, you're, you're not getting too many views from your point of view. You're getting the normal, you know, the, the middle of the park and kind of scanning back and forth, which is the least comparable view to what you actually see. Sure. Yeah, no, I think it's something definitely try to look for tendencies, um, whether they're a team that, you know, plays more out wide and they look for service in the box or whether it's a team that's kind of more direct and, um, you know, will play three balls through the middle or three balls um, kind of over the top because then I'll be, you know, maybe my starting position is a, bit, is a little bit higher to try to cut those balls out. And whereas, you know, if a ball, if a team is kind of sitting in and waiting for, waiting for that counter press, um, you know, then I, then I know that I'll have to be on my toes even when the ball's on the other side of the field. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that uh, is so important in our, in our position is, is not switching off, even though the, the ball might be seven yards away because, you know, in two passes, it might be uh, 10 yards from your box. So I think just the film in, in general is, is looking for tendencies amongst the attackers and, and also kind of how the team plays in general. If they're going to build out from the back, if they're going to hit it long, uh, if they're looking for flick-ons up top. So kind of just goes week by week. And then do you go through guys and see if you can find old film of them taking penalties and stuff? Or is there somebody who brings that info to you? Uh, both, both. Yeah, so we definitely have uh, a lot of a lot of scouting from, from previous games and previous penalties. But um, to be honest, like a lot of the guys in the league now, it's like they're, they're good enough. They can, go, they can go either way. I mean, you're looking for everything. You're looking for the way they put the ball down. You're looking for the, how many steps they take backwards to see if you can find a pattern. But um, also at the end of the day, it's just kind of get to feel the moment and feel uh, what, what feels right. I mean, it's so funny, man, because like, you're right. It is. I mean, they can go both ways. They can do whatever they want. And I remember um, Tarbs a couple years ago made a stop on somebody. And I said, what uh, influenced that? And he said, oh, well, in the game that I last saw him, he went left. So I figured this time he'd go right. And he made the stop. Yeah, just like <laughs> yeah it's funny. It's funny because some guys, you know, you know, they keep their same pattern. They keep going the same direction. And then 
a lot of times it's like, okay, I know that he knows that I know. So it's like a triple reverse <laughs> psychology going on. So, um, and at the end of the day, I think it's also a little bit of luck and a little bit of, you know, guessing the right way and, and trying to make the save. Yeah. And I, I'm curious, like compared to college, you know, how much, how much more film is there at, at the pro level than what you were doing at Georgetown? It's an interesting question. I think it's, it's different. I think it's, um, the film now is much more, uh, specific, mm-hmm. not so much general, just like watching games. Um, there's the way our coaches break down the, the game. It's in certain, uh, moments or certain pieces, whether it's transition, whether it's attacking play, whether it's building out, whether it's, you know, how they press or how they defend in a low block. And so it's a lot more, uh, specific scenarios rather than just, all right, let's just throw in the game and watch the, you know, our last 30 minutes of, of the performance against Nashville. It's a, yeah. There's a lot more that goes into it than just, um, I guess, recapping or like summarizing the, the performance. How is it having Ralston back um, with the team now? Because uh, Stevie was the man who gave you your first shot at the end of the 2018 season um, and getting those, you know, starts at MLS level. And I remember one of those, you had your first shutout against Colorado. Um, you know, is it, uh, I, I imagine you must feel like a much, uh, much more of an adult now than you did at the end of the 2018 season. <laughs> yeah. Having Raleigh back is great. Um, he's a great presence in the locker room. I think he brings the pedigree, not only as a player, but um, you know, him, him as our head coach in 2018, I thought he was great. Um, I think he's, he's the most down to earth guy. You'd have n- no idea that he was one of the best MLS players of all time. Yeah. Um, you know, I had to tell some of the rookies who like, maybe not don't, didn't know who he was. I'm like, listen, go look, go look at my YouTube and, you know, go, go watch some film of what Raleigh, you know, could used to, he was able to do when he was playing. So, um, yeah, no, he's great to have back around. And, and like you said, kind of forever grateful for him giving my debut and, um, it sure does feel like a long time ago, but, uh, yeah. remember it. Remember it like yesterday, but at the same time, it, it feels like a long time ago. Was that the game against Atlanta? Atlanta, yeah, we lost four three when that was like we went up four one and they called it back. Yeah, three two. Yeah, so that was uh that was quite the way to start my, you know, start the career. Yeah, well, baptism by fire, you wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> um, and you Absolutely. got. Uh, you got, I mean, that's a deal like with Raleigh and Wando, you got the number two assist man, number one goal scorer all time in MLS history. There is no more decorated bench in uh, major league soccer. How True. is it having Wando back out there? I mean, cause that was one of the things that I always wondered about. And Wando's so cool that he would never, you know, I'm sure he would make it as cool as possible, but like, it was weird. Like one of the narratives in the off season was like, okay, Wando retired. Now guys like JT and Tommy and Shay and Jackson and Christian, these veterans, now they're going to step more into that leadership role. And then, you know, before the month of April is over, suddenly Wando's back there on the touchline. Like, and I know Wando's way too cool to try and like insert himself, but it is still, you know, he's a, he's a franchise icon and he has, he's a natural leader, whether he's a player or whether he's a coach. Was that, was any of that weird for you guys? Not really, honestly. Like it, it felt very natural having him back around, um, and I think it's in, it's in a different role. He's not in our locker room, but he's you know he's in and around it. He's I think it's tough for him sometimes not to just walk the same way he walked for the past six years in in PayPal Park to go right turn right into our locker room instead of turn left into the coach's office. <laughs> um, but you know having him him back and on the training pitch every day, it's just he kind of he sees the game different. He's he's um, so aware i think um of not only the coaching points but just the way he can talk to younger players the way he can give confidence um it's he's he's a great dude and 
uh, one of my really good friends. So I love having him around. I would love to talk to Jeremy about this because Joe and I have talked about it a number of times on a couple of um, Abobasi's goals. It looks like Wando-esque, and we were wondering, you know, if you know he's been talking to Jeremy about movement because his movement around the box, away from the ball. Do you talk to Wando about attackers, or is it is it hard because he had such unique movement compared to other attackers that you will go up against? Does he? ever impart stuff to you about what to look out for or is it is it just different because he was such a a unique type of player no we we talk a lot honestly um i think it's really interesting hearing his, his perspective and then he would also he would ask me like hey what do i think about this um which is like pretty rare and so i think <laughs> that just is a perfect example of like how down to earth he is um is that he's you know he's willing to to ask questions he's he's humble enough to listen and so i think it is it is interesting and i think it's always uh, helpful to have a striker's perspective especially in our position just because it's like okay if he's here and if this is what he's thinking then it's like okay maybe i can then use that to my advantage if, in that same scenario when it comes up during a game no very cool very cool stuff um i gotta ask who, who's got the biggest boot on the team right now is it skaying because he can rocket balls sometimes but also christian <laughs> Abobasi, like there's, there's some, I feel like there's a lot of guys with pretty big legs out there. Yeah, I think, um, I think Christian still has to take the cake. He can absolutely rifle a ball. Um, sometimes I get, I get pretty pissed at him because he's, you know, he's eight <laughs> yards out and he's just hitting as hard as he can. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to get out of the way. But, uh, you know, I think you mentioned Jack. I think it's a, um, he's a player that, is is pretty special um i think he's definitely growing kind of growing into his own throughout these games and throughout training i think he's going to get more opportunities um throughout this season and i'm really excited for it because he's he's pretty unique in the way he plays and um i think if he can just carry out the way that he's been training it's going to be uh really really helpful for us as a team yeah i i enjoy watching him play and uh, just w- watching the ball rocket off his foot sometimes i'm like yeah. that's going to find the back of the net because I mean, I'm sure you've had it in practice. Like, there's just sometimes there's no catching up to a ball like that. Yeah, no, and he can he can knuckle it. He can kind of place it wherever he wants. So, yeah, he he can definitely hit it. Good deal, man. Well, I will let you go, JT. I appreciate your time as always. Um, I will be in uh, Salt Lake this weekend. It's uh, road trip number two. That I'll be back out there after uh, the LAFC game, so I'll be able to uh, watch you get it done in person on the road again. And uh, I will see you then, man. All right. Perfect. Thanks, Ted. See you in Salt Lake. JT Marcinkowski, always fun talking with him, and I'll be looking forward to his performance Saturday in Salt Lake. Catch that broadcast right here on KMBR 1050. I will be in Salt Lake. Things get going at 6.30, again, right here on KMBR 1050. We are all out of time for the San Jose Earthquakes. JT Marcinkowski and Alex Silverman, I'm Ted Ramey, signing off. This has been the Soccer Hour with Ted Ramey, presented by the San Jose Earthquakes and your local NorCal Honda dealers on KNBR 1050, the sports leader. What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real, because just business is better business. Visit JustCapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count.